Welcome to Y11 Audio, Ypsilanti's college football podcast. I'm Alex Alvarado. Thank you for listening. This is the official podcast feed for the Ypsilanti 11 Ipsy's college football newsletter. Last week, like I told you, I went to Cleveland, great old Cleveland, everybody's favorite city. It's kind of like Detroit if it were more boring. Uh, I went to the great state of Cleveland to hang out at the, not the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, no, the House of Blues, of course. Um... That's where Media Day was held. It was a pretty cool event. I enjoyed it. I don't honestly have really a bad thing to say about it. It was good setup and all that stuff. It was very different. I don't really like traveling more than I normally would for all that stuff. I'd rather just kind of, you know, not have to worry about traveling for a day, but that's just kind of a personal problem. Um, Still, it was pretty cool. It was good. Uh, I got to catch up with a lot of people, got to see, you know, just a lot of new faces. Joe Moorhead didn't know what he looked like in real life. He's huge. Um, would beat you up, and I'm assuming you're just a normal average size person, probably bigger than me at 5'10", 200-something. Joe Moorhead would still trash you. He would throw me through a table. God, man, he is huge. Lots of new faces like that. Had a one-on-one with, you know, a lot of people, but one specifically who's, uh, I'm going to have some quotes for you a little bit later on in this show, Toledo Athletic Director Brian Blair who is really only in like three months, like his third month uh, leading Toledo. It's crazy just like how quick like time goes and we're like, oh my God, feels like a lot longer than that. Like if you watch Tiger King, that felt like you watched that in high school at this point. Um, but no, that was, I mean, maybe if you were in high school two years ago, maybe you did watch it in high school, but really it only came out two years ago. It felt like forever though. Before we get into all of that, I just want you to head on over to my newsletter, ypsilanti11.substack.com. That's what it's going to be labeled right now. I'm probably going to upgrade the domain name soon enough, but once I know, you'll know that. Sign up for free updates. A subscription really helps. And you know what? If you know anybody else that loves Maction, loves Eastern Michigan football or anything else in between, hey, let them know. It really helps me out, and I appreciate it. Before we get into the Media Day content, I just want to give a quick recruiting update. It is Monday. It is not even 2 o'clock p.m. in the afternoon yet. The 2023 class is really, really shaping up really well, Uh, and I have to give this update because Deion Brown, the running back from St. Louis, uh, had just committed, and, you know, he's just now the second highest-rated commit in this class. Uh, Eastern by 24-7 sports composite, total points. I don't care how you want to argue this, whatever. Just take it for whatever it's worth. Is the second rated uh, second-ranked MAC class so far uh, in this cycle, which is really, really good. And it already features Messiah Blair up top, the defensive end from Detroit, uh, MLK High School teammates with the one and only um, – oh, God, I can't even think of his name right now. How is he the one and only? I can't even think of his name right now. Dante Moore. Messiah Blair is the top-rated recruit uh, in Eastern's history, which was which really caught him off guard. Uh, when I was talking to him, he was like, yeah, I, I literally had no idea until afterwards when, like, Alan Trius, uh, he, didn't, he didn't say his name specifically, but I'm going to say it for him. When Alan Trius, uh tweet came out in response to Messiah Blair's commitment, and he found out, oh, my God, he's the highest rated recruit in Eastern's program history. That's really, really great, especially at a position that, like, really needs, like, great, great productivity. Uh, Messiah Blair, 6'7", 223. This running back that we're talking about that just committed over the weekend, 5'8", 155. Uh, little guy, a lot of speed. I'm not going to break down like every commit on this podcast and just kind of like give you, 
you know, an athletic feel for them. I'm not going to like do that really for everybody because, you know, it's, it's just kind of hard to like project these kind of guys. And then I don't really want to spend too much time, you know, covering a whole bunch of commits on this podcast and them not totally stick around forever. It feels like a lot of lost energy, but I will do it. You know, I will put in the work to let you guys know, hey, this is what the up, you know, the upcoming roster changes will look like. And this is kind of what they're going to look like on the field. But I'm not going to make a whole like living out of this thing, so to speak. But Deion Brown committed really, you know, uh, talented running back with a lot of speed, not a lot of size. But you know what? We'll see what it looks like when it's in green and white uh, next year and years to come. EMU is currently second in the MAC, which would be great. Um, hey, <laughs> there's not a lot separating uh, number one and number two. It's really not. It's it wouldn't take you know for the sizable class that Eastern's had, they're not piling on with like a whole bunch of commits like Central is. Not to say Central's doing a bad job, but I'm just telling you what like the rankings kind of look like. You know, Central has more commits, Eastern has fewer, but. By composite scores, Eastern's quality of commits is um, really, really good this year. Like, it's very surprising to see. Like, if you would have told me that this is what the program was going to look like 10 years ago, I wouldn't 100% believe you. Not really, no. But this is a nice update. For media day, of course, let's just get this out of the way. The media was pulled. And they picked their division winners for the MAC this year, of course, as they do every year. Uh, Miami was the runaway favorite for the East with 20 first place votes. Kent State, who actually won the thing last year and returns a lot of pieces minus the quarterback, but including the head coach, just three first place votes. Uh, fifth place in the East, but has one first place vote because whoever did that, I love you and I respect you. Bowling Green. <laughs> just, just throw your media ballot away. I love it. I love it. In the West, it's NIU, Toledo, and Central with first place picks. Uh, 11 goes NIU's way, 9 to Toledo, 4 to CMU. Eastern found themselves at 5th, uh, just sandwiched in between Western at 4, Ball State at 6. Uh, not great to open up, but you know what? If, if you're an Eastern fan, you're used to it. Like, you've seen Eastern be picked 5th in the West. Like that's that's an annual tradition. Like, if you're at 4th, like, that's, that's crazy. 3rd? Third? 3rd, we're breaking out the good tequila. Uh, one of the other updates that the MAC announced is that Ford Field will continue to be the MAC's neutral site uh, championship venue. It's going to be the longest stretch that a conference can just agree that one neutral venue will continue to be the conference championship game since 2004. Uh, this is a conference that, unlike a lot of leagues and schools and pairings of those two parties, uh, multiple parties throughout the nation have like there's a lot of distrust going on nationwide in the Mac it's continued alignment and it has been so there's not a lot I'm not surprised that we're seeing this alignment you know you know be continued through on and so for them to you know for the for fans it's it's not a huge deal unless like you're actually participating in it that you know hey uh we do have our preferences. Do we want the championship game at home venues? Do we want the championship game at neutral? Yeah, it would be more fun to have them at home. But for a lot of obvious reasons, it kind of has to be at a neutral venue and a big kind of stage like Ford Field that can host a lot of people coming in from out of town, fans, non-fans, working people. 
Ford Field is a convenient spot for this kind of bus league. And it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways that you can spell out. But it's also just one more thing that this league can say that we agree on in a time where there's nothing anybody can agree on. For the MAC to say, hey, here's one more thing of continued support and continued alignment throughout, and this is nothing new for us. You know, it's it's kind of good that they can come out and say, hey, we're agreeing on another thing. Yes, it's the same thing as before, but I don't see you guys agreeing on the same thing as before. I just saw the Big Ten just pluck two teams from out west. I just saw the SEC pluck Texas and Oklahoma. There's No, it's not the biggest deal in the world. And sure, this is going to be the most non-watched, you know, conference championship game of the 10 FBS leagues. Actually, probably not. No, no. The Mac's going to have more than like the Cusa for sure. But I digress. This is good for the Mac. This is good for the Mac. Just accept it as a good thing. It's not the biggest thing in the world. It is a good thing in the Mac that this is a continued tradition. In a time where continued traditions are a thing of the past. Brian Blair, I, you know, he just wanted to kind of have himself introduced at media day. So he was kind of having a media tour. I had um, the first of many one-on-ones scheduled with him. So I'm glad I got into the front of the line. So I got the most of his breath. Uh, You know, I kind of asked him, hey, why are you at Toledo? I asked him a bunch of things, but I'm only going to have like maybe four or five minutes worth of of, uh, interview on this podcast. So I'm just going to get right to it. Here's the first of two bits that I have. Yeah, I mean, I'm still learning a lot about it. I, like I said, I'm uh, like two and a half months in, I think, yeah. to, to being here. But I'd been looking for this opportunity probably for a year and a half, two years. Okay. Even before it popped open, I think as a young administrator, you're trying to figure out, okay, if I was going to be an AD tomorrow, where would I want that to be? Yeah. You start sketching out a handful of schools that make some sense. Um, and then you look at, okay, Toledo makes a lot of sense. Yeah. One, again, close to family. Two, the level of success they've had here historically. I think it speaks to what's possible here. If you, if you go to places that have never had an ounce of success, there may be deep-seated issues at play. Yeah. Toledo is a place that's always been successful in some way, shape, or form, so now it's higher and lower. So you say, okay, I can build on that. I think the city as a whole is phenomenal. I lived downtown for the first six weeks in an apartment by myself. So I was the guy on the little electric scooters yeah. riding around. I'd go get wings for dinner or whatever. Just that whole area downtown on the waterfront. It's phenomenal. And then I got a chance to experience life outside of downtown and all the little pockets. And just there's so much to do. There's so much vibrancy to the neighborhoods. And the population and being the biggest city in the MAC, I think, it comes with a lot of advantages. You take that collectively and you say, okay, you're also 40 minutes from Detroit. Yeah. Um, so you can tap into Detroit or Ann Arbor or these other areas when needed. I mean, it's just a recipe for success, I believe. I mean, it's 40 minutes from Detroit, but it's also not too far of a drive to here in Cleveland. It's not too far of a drive really anywhere it's really like the epicenter of like the bus league like the last standing bus league in fbs right and, and we're, we're literally in the center of the conference footprint yeah. right i mean so you got all you got chicago pittsburgh cleveland all these cities around that have so much opportunity but then too from a competitive standpoint we're in the middle of the mac footprint we get more rest than everybody else and we have less travel than everybody else that's a huge advantage in our footprint so okay. i think leveraging some of that but those are things i didn't know from outside looking in and now i look at it and say holy cow i have yeah. one of those moments probably every week where i go holy cow i didn't know that holy cow i didn't know this this is what that's bringing to the table so you heard that toledo's right there in the middle of the mac i don't have to draw out a map and you probably already know that but just so you know it is like right there just like right there in the middle just like brian said and i kind of you know i said it first but toledo has its built-in advantages of being in the Mac and how much of, and this is my question for you listening, how much of 
Toledo's advantages in the MAC come from being the epicenter of the MAC. And so I want you to think, can Toledo just like, if Toledo ever wanted to change conferences, because Toledo's one of those schools where uh, it's being floated about where, and this isn't like official stuff, this is just fodder, this is just talk on the internet. But Toledo is one of those schools where above a lot of other G5 programs, because of its built-in advantages of being in the MAC, can they just pack its bags, leave the MAC one day, join, say, the AAC, and say, hey, we still have all these built-in advantages, and we're going to do well here. Can Toledo do that? In 10 years, where is Toledo? Where physically, or what kind of program are we? You answer how you want to. Yeah, I think we're a nationally preeminent G5 program. I want to be the preeminent G5 program. I mean, I mean that, and I don't see any reason why we can't. Um, I think if you look at some of the top, quote unquote, programs within the G5, top to bottom, and what they've done, but what attributes they have, I think we share many of those attributes. Do they have a history of success? Check, we have that. Are they in a major metro? Check, we have that. Are they close to airport and travel? Check, we have that. Are they in a great recruiting footprint? Check, we have that. There's nothing standing in our way from being the best. Um, we've got to put in the effort, we've got to be creative. Yeah, there's some things we don't have, but a lot of times there's things that I can counter and say we do have this. Um, so I want us in 10 years to look back and say we're the best program, top to bottom, in the group of five consideration. Um, and that means that means going into the tournaments. That means winning bowl games. That means if we expand the playoff, us appearing in that playoff. Those big goals mean a lot to me. Um, and I think in 10 years, I certainly think we get to that stage. What's the best way for Toledo to get into the playoff? I know like Toledo's got to win all their games and just like cut out the excuses and actually like prove themselves like Cincinnati, sure. But I don't know how sustainable last year really was for like all those G5 schools that, that you had just mentioned that should make it in that stage. You know, how should Toledo be able to get in there and like what kind of, I guess what kind of model of playoffs should we have to have a, like a very successful Toledo to get in the playoff? I think we got to keep on focusing on being the best Toledo possible but building the absolute best football team possible. Some of that stuff's outside our hand. Admittedly, a 14 playoff, that playoff is really, really hard. Yeah. Cincinnati showing it can be done. Yeah. And I think Houston, if you look back, had they won their conference championship game, they would have got it done. And so there's been opportunities for G5 programs to make that leap. Has it been often or every year? No. Yeah. But can it happen? Absolutely. Now, if we move forward and we have this opportunity to maybe they choose to expand the playoff in the coming years, well, now we're talking a whole new ball game where there's there's more opportunities to get that access and then it still comes down we got to dominate this conference we got to schedule strategically outside it where we schedule hard enough to beat and get quality wins but not so hard that we, we preemptively eliminate ourselves or beat ourselves up for the season that's to come and make sure we build an infrastructure where regardless of what players or coaches come through we're always going to have a baseline level of success so we're not having to rebound we're just reloading and I think some of those things are in place. Others I got to get to work on. Some EMU sided news that came from Media Day. I'm not going to have audio clips for that. I'm just going to focus on the audio clips from Media Day on other things, which is camp starts tomorrow. But, you know, and, and it all kind of intertwines, doesn't it? But the preseason depth chart officially came out. So I published that. Some names that aren't on the list. Uh, two big ones. Two big ones that I did ask about and had another post about. Former starters that aren't going to be starting this year. Actually, they're not going to be playing at all this year. Jake Donilon, offensive lineman. Defensive end Mikey Haney, who I really was excited to play, to play, to see play. 
this year because he just plays really nasty. I love I love his style. They're both going to be missing the season. Uh, Jake Donilon, he came back from injury and was you know in spring was getting ready to you know to get ready for for the season to be one of the the left guard or the right guard again probably the right guard, um, but things didn't work out. He just got re injured uh, from what I've been told. And, uh, yeah, he's just going to be missing the season, unfortunately. So he's going to take an off-field role with the team. Mikey Haney, uh, he went down during the spring. Uh, if you were at the spring game, one, it was wet, and you were like, why are they playing out there? Someone's going to get hurt. And then with 30 seconds left, someone got hurt. And now Mikey Haney, who is a troublemaker for the defensive line, is out for the year. Just really, really stinks. It really would have been great to have Mikey Haney and Jose Ramirez working on both sides of the defensive line. Uh, just like really just tearing things up uh both are gonna be out for the year that's that does a lot for depth man especially early on in the year so especially in the trenches where you just need guys to stay healthy yeah definitely a big blow on both sides of the ball so uh check out my newsletter check out the depth chart Uh, i'll have updates on that you know once the depth chart gets updated throughout the year uh like i said practice starts tomorrow for eastern so even without those guys we're going to be seeing Who's going to be filling in in those spots? Yes, there are names already penciled in, but hey, anybody can outperform anybody. It's August. It things get hot, things get crazy, uh, and whoever ends up starting week one against Eastern Kentucky is whoever stands, start and is whoever ends up starting. See, I can speak. But it's going to be a long season. We need whoever starts this, the, the the front of the year. Those guys need to stay healthy and need to finish because especially with two upperclassmen starters out for the year, it's 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 already just a, just a rough start for Eastern uh, in that regard. Yeah, there's a lot of guys with potential and all that stuff, but, you know, I've seen potential before. Anyways, fall camp, it begins tomorrow on Tuesday. Here's what Chris Creighton had to say about it at Media Day. Yeah, I, I really like, um, you know, our, our football team right now. And camp is going to be really important. We still have some areas that, uh, you know, we have to sure up. Um, yeah. Guys have to continue to step up. Uh, we need the practice time overall as a, as a football team for sure. Uh, but we have what it takes. Um, you know, it's been a while, but I know what it feels like and it tastes yeah. like and it looks like. and. You know, and I do. I, I think that we've got the, the right people, um, and it's really hard to do. But you know, we're going to go after being our best, and I think that our best could be pretty good. The it he was talking about were just championship games in general, because uh, Eastern has never ever ever won a MAC championship game, uh, never even made it to that stage. But overall, in his record, yeah, he's zero and four in bowl games. He's probably talking about that too. He needs Eastern to finally get that man, because Eastern's best. It's most historic win ever is the 1987 uh, Cal Bowl. At least that was the one that's been most prized, especially when I went to college. That was the moment where, like, Eastern just needs to get back to whatever that is. But, you know, as as a coach before he even got to Eastern, he's 5-3 and three in the uh, Division three playoffs. So he has, he has had a track record of taking lowly teams into, you know, new stages and blah, 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 and just having a lot of success that way, right? Um just needs to get that first one with Eastern. Now that he's essentially 10 years, now he's nine, but I'm going to say 10 years into the program, 
Eastern's in a much better spot for sure. Uh, just want to get them to the championship stage because it's fun. In getting there, of course, we kind of talked about a little bit about the times. Uh, the times being the transfer portal is what it is. And, you know, Creighton is no stranger to just bringing in as many guys that he likes as possible, which means he's also just not saying it, but is saying that he's totally okay with guys leaving the program as long as he's more okay with the guys that he's bringing into the to the program to replenish the holes, right? And to refill some of the holes, roster spots that are being depleted. Have it be for graduation, transfers, guys just aren't making it onto the field, whatever the case may be. As long as the guys that he's bringing in, he's happy with, hey, it's a good time. It's a good time to manage a program, right? Right? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, man, it's, as as things are becoming like more transient, you know, my answer is then just even build a stronger culture. Yeah. You know, we want people who want to be here and, and uh, are, are like-minded, love football, want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And, um, you know, I think that uh, um, that's worked out pretty darn well. You know, I mean, there's people who want to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Taylor Powell, Chase Klein, and Joseph Grasio. Um, you know, those guys are great fits for our program, and they're really good football players. They've been here since January, but it feels like they've been here for the last two years. Yeah. I mean, they're completely ingratiated in our program. And uh, so, you know, they they will – those guys will make an impact on our football team. And, uh, you know, you mentioned we have two corners that have both come from junior college. Yeah. One got here in yeah, January. Yep. And, then, uh, yep, and then Keelan came, you know, for this summer. And um, – so yeah, I mean it's helpful to be able to, um, you know, be able and see if somebody's out there that's the right fit um, and the right spot and all of those things. And so that you know that part has changed in college football for sure. And um, you know we feel as though we've handled it pretty well so far. So offensively, of course, uh, Taylor Powell is the quarterback. Oh uh, yeah, we got to start with the quarterback every time we go to offense. But you know the team loves him. Uh, obviously. I guess the one thing that, that Creighton said in this next clip that I'm going to play for you um, was the accuracy. The accuracy is what really stood out um, to to him and to the team. Uh, yeah, he gets along with everybody, of course. I don't think they would bring in any starting quarterback that just like was uh, unpleasurable to work with, I guess. I don't think that they would want to bring in a quarterback that would ruin the chemistry the long-term chemistry of this team just for a few games in a 2022 season. I doubt that would be the case. That being said, they're still really happy with the the kind of quarterback that they got out of Taylor Powell. Uh, he's playing really well. Um, no, he's not lightning quick. No, he's not going to be Mike Glass. No, he's not going to be Brogan Roback even. Uh, but will he be even better than what we saw out of Tyler Wiegers or out of Ben Bryant or any of the other you know, pocket passing first quarterbacks that we probably saw out of Eastern. He's not going to beat people with his feet. Um, he's going to beat people with his mind first, you know, and then he's a super accurate quarterback. Yeah. Um, completed 81% of his passes in spring ball, which is as high as I've ever been around. Yeah. Um, and the, the biggest thing is just the fit. I mean, he just absolutely fits our program and our guys. He loves it. He loves it. You know, we love him. And, uh, so, you know, Austin Smith, you know, he was, you know, in the fight and, yeah. and backed up last year, and he's got another year under his belt. And um, and then Cam McCoy came in as a freshman in January. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, 
really high hopes for him as well. Uh, but, you know, as of right now, I mean, you know, Taylor Powell's just had such a great spring um, that uh, we really don't feel as though there's going to be a drop-off there at all. Defensively, we did mention, uh, you know, some injuries that are going to be hurting the team this year, but some guys that are coming back from injury that should help the team this year are both in the defensive backs. Um, Brandon Benson and Corey Hernandez both came from transfers. Uh, Corey Hernandez started out at Arkansas, went the Juco route. Um, Brandon Benson was a four-year player at Bucknell, cleaned up a lot of damage as a safety. Um, both of them were missed a lot last year or all last year. Uh, now that they're back, they're neither of them are listed as number ones. I don't believe I'm not looking at the depth chart. You know what? I should do that right now. Let me look at the depth chart for you. So neither are listed as starters at their positions, but they're still leaders nonetheless, especially with like the experience that comes, you know, from each of them. They're both on their last year of college football. So hopefully that they can just, you know, live it up for every snap that they get in 2022. Right. Uh, so coach is happy that both of them are back. Corey's definitely a leader of our, of our corners group, you know, and uh, he, he had a bad freak injury and has worked his tail off uh, to come back. So I can't wait to see him at camp because he was not full go at all in, in spring. And then Brandon Benson, I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, came in from Bucknell right. and uh, in camp sustained an injury and so wasn't able to play at all last year. We had, you know, high hopes for him uh, even just getting there last summer. We're getting here last summer and playing and so now he's had a whole year he's in the program he knows everybody he knows our defense and so we think he's going to be a good player two players that repped eastern uh made the trip defensive end jose ramirez and wide receiver hassan badoon who was absolutely goaded uh, i'll get to that in a little bit but first i want to get to what jose had to say i asked him hey who's good on your defensive line who, who who's going to good who's going to be good who's going to be good uh i hear a lot of names but in your eyes, who's going to impress us this year? Oh, yeah, we got a lot of young guys and we got a lot of talent. Somebody who's been impressing me is Peyton. We got Carter, we got Jaden, we got yeah, the whole, whole DM room, whole D line room. All of them been impressing me and impressing this team. We've been going through these workouts and always challenging each other. If I'm doing one, somebody trying to one up me. It's just like that competitive nature that we got and trying to, trying to take that to the season two and take that to the camp. So, my favorite thing that Hassan Badoon. Uh, once upon a time, a non-preferred walk-on who had absolutely zero football offers out of high school um, from anywhere at all, even though he was doing really well for himself at Dearborn. He walked on to Eastern as a non-preferred guy, you know, in 2019, has made a name for himself, of course. You know, I kind of I, I had to ask him, you know, what was like kind of a surreal moment for you in your college football experience, your very unique college football experience. And of course, he brought up when he received the, the scholarship you know it was a very surreal moment for him not only that but the next day so it was christmas day 2019 when he received his scholarship and it was christmas day when the whole team was together and they were you know having dinner and celebrating together they were doing like a secret santa sort of deal um getting everybody involved and it was the day before the quick lane bowl in detroit you know, not too far for Hassan's family to see, or a lot of guys uh, that play for Eastern and in the MAC in general, um, to see. And they were playing Pitt too, so it was regionally cool, right? Um, got the scholarship. That was in itself a uh, a big surprise for him, and you know, happy moment for him. The next day, 
uh, took off, had like 100-something receiving yards. He's had 400, but I, I had to fact-check that. Uh, it wasn't 400, but it was pretty close, I guess. Um, but <laughs> the best thing Hassan did, I asked him, so who, which one of your receivers, kind of like I asked Jose, which one of your receivers that, that you play with is doing really well? And who's going to like make a name for themselves this year? And this guy went ahead and responded to my question with a question. He was like, who has made a name for themselves already? And I was like, well, okay, I'll, I'm just going to say the starters. And he's like, okay, well, everybody else. <laughs> this guy, man, he is, he is amazing. He is already a professional. A non-preferred walk-on turned professional in like a couple years. Love this man. No, it, it's definitely humbling. I mean, I just came here and the thing about Eastern that's so nice is they don't treat scholarship and walk-ons differently. They give everyone the open right to come play. If you can play, you're going to play. So I just came in and proved myself, just had to get some confidence. I think that was the biggest thing, just playing confident. And then the rest is history. All right, let's wrap this up with a rundown of a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight names that I want to point out really quickly. Not because they've done anything, but because what they might do starting tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to practice. I'll have a, you know, I'll have a dispatch of sorts. I'll, I'll let you know what happens. There's a lot of guys I'm looking out for. There's over 80 guys on this roster. You know, there's there's over 100 guys on this roster. There's just so many football players. I have to keep tabs with all of them. Uh, but here's eight. Here's eight that I'm going to keep tabs on um, specifically for this reason. They're underclassmen. And the program only grows with underclassmen, right? So these are the eight names I'm going to circle and say, hey, where are you at in your game? How far can you take this team this year? And what is your long-term potential as a, as a player on this team, right? Like, where what is your fit? And how much can you produce for this team this year? Just kind of two general questions that, you know, can't be answered tomorrow, can't be answered this week, can't be answered this whole month. But I'm still going to keep an eye on because I'm just very curious about you for some specific reasons. Let's start out on offense. There's Most of these guys are on offense. The quarterback that I'm going to look at is the backup, Austin Smith, the only one who stuck around and didn't transfer out or wasn't cut um, from their walk-on status. Austin Smith was a speedy guy out of the Atlanta area. Uh, he's the quarterback, too, right now. There's no reason to believe that he should you know, play into quarterback one right now, but I am curious to know how close he is. I want to know how close to Taylor Powell's accuracy he is. I want to know how close or who, if he's a better passer at all than Powell in any regard. Does he have a better deep ball? Does he have a better medium ball, a short ball? You know, what, how good is he and what can he do on the field right now? What does he look like when he's running with the twos and does he lead the ones just as far? Tight end Max Reese, he's an incoming tight end. Uh, he's not built like a traditional tight end because he played a lot of wide receiver in high school, mostly wide receiver, uh, and he's very young, so he's still going to be uh, pretty raw in some regard, but he's still very, very good. Um, him and his high school team, they did a lot of good in the playoffs, and they have, uh, you know, he played with a lot of P5 guys on his roster, so there was a lot of talent that he was surrounding himself with, uh, so I'm sure that kind of fed into you know, his desire to get better every day and trying to like work out. I'm sure like if you're the only guy in a high school locker room who's receiving D1 offers, you know, you're kind of like looked at as like, you know, I'm the shit, you know, I can, you know, yeah, I want to work hard and all that stuff. But like, 
there's some sort of hominess that's setting in and being like comfortable being like the top dog but this guy is surrounded by dogs so the work ethic i'm sure is already there when i talked to him on the phone a few months ago god when was it a long time ago man it's close to a year now uh he was telling me that he was not looking to uh ride the bench that long if at all so can he outperform some of the seniors that are in this tight end group right now like this isn't a a position group that's already locked down with like oh this is our returning um oh god what is the uh what's the tight end award i don't remember what that is this is our returning john mackey of the of the year uh award watch list guy you know there's none of that like our two starters for the past three years are both gone bryson cannon and tom sacotier so there's this is one of those positions that's totally up for grabs and Max Reese is dynamic enough to make big plays downfield with his receiving making abilities. So I wonder if that's going to get him on the field. But I don't know how much of his blocking and how much of his size and his youth is going to keep him off the field. Elijah Jackson Anderson is the most like a Bronson Hill type running back in Eastern's current running back room right now. Just based on film alone and my eyes and that's my observations. Um, and... You know, after Samson Evans, like, after he's gone, there's not a lot of, like, underclassmen running backs that are, you know, I feel very comfortable in. So this is another incoming freshman out of Grand Blank, Michigan, that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, Just kind of want to see where he's at in comparison to everybody else. Receiver Zach Westmoreland, he's already started games, but he's an underclassman still, uh, and he's not one of the top three receiving threats right now. But he's pretty damn good. But I'm curious to know, like, how wide is his game that we're just not seeing on game day? Because this is a coaching staff that really, really loved it when he committed. They really thought that they got a huge steal from, like, P5 programs with him because out of high school, he had, like, a foot injury that kept a lot of schools away. And Zach Westmoreland ended up going to, like, Northeast Oklahoma A&M. I promise you that's a real place. Uh, But they didn't play football his first year because that would be in 2020. And so... They canceled football for that year, even though he spent like a, his first semester uh, at a new college, his first college. So he came into Eastern essentially with like full eligibility. And so he saw a little bit of the field last year, but not too many. Didn't even have like 20 grabs. Uh, would love to see his productivity go up. But I also want to see how they use him, how they try him out, what works with him, what doesn't work with him, uh, what doesn't work with him and the rest of the other receivers too i just you know i'm curious to see what he looks like you know in the flood of receivers that they're trying to use carson lee is a incoming offensive lineman from colorado he played five games over the past two years uh you know you got to get big in the trenches and someone like carson lee he didn't have a ton of offers but colorado is a p5 program let's give it its respect uh just hey youthful offensive line with some sort of track record some sort of experience uh kind of you know i'm curious to see what that's worth Uh, defensively our last three guys that we're going to get to defensive end sterling miles is who i'm going to start with he's from west bloomfield he transfers in from cincinnati though uh he's got three or four years left i'm not looking at my spreadsheet but sterling miles you know especially with mikey haney out sterling miles can you step up uh, you're one of the defensive ends that we're looking at right now. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to pair you with Malik Bogard, too, who was 
and he's going to be an incoming freshman. He is an incoming freshman, not going to be. He's already in Eastern. Uh, incoming freshman was the highest rated recruit in Eastern's class last uh, cycle. Uh, this, you know, in the 2022 cycle. So, of you guys, who's going to be impressing? And what will make you guys stand out on the field? Um, and how much do you guys got to grow up? Like I said, you're both freshmen. Well, certainly I was sophomore, but you get what I mean. Melvin Swindle is an interior defensive lineman that didn't see a feel, the field a lot last year, but I really think he's about to. I think he's really going to like, we're going to see a lot more of Melvin Swindle Jr. out there. A really highly rated recruit is actually, if we're including Messiah Blair in this current cycle, the 23 cycle, Melvin Swindle is the number three rated recruit in Eastern's history too. So it's going to be exciting at one point if everything stays linear and you know no, nothing crazy changes, right? To have the number three and number one recruits of all time across Eastern's defensive line. That's a good recipe for success. That's a good recipe for success. And I don't care if you're Eastern. I don't care if you're Central. I don't care if you're Toledo. I don't care what school you are. Akron, ULM, the Terry Bowden schools. That's a good recipe for success. And that's a very good foundation to be building off of. Justin Jefferson's the last name I'm going to mention here. Uh, I kind of want to mention him uh, in conjunction with another linebacker too, Bryson Huddleston, because they both came in during the 2020 cycle. They're both linebackers, and neither of them are starting. I just need to know, okay, so the transfers came in, Joseph Horatio, Chase Klein, they're going to be the number one linebackers for Eastern this year because he only played two, right? And Eastern felt very comfortable bringing them in, letting Tariq Spates uh, jump down into an LB2 role rather than a starter. And Justin Jefferson, likewise, will be another LB2 on the other side. Uh, but Bryson Huddleston, you know, he also was in the 2020 cycle uh, that signed with Eastern that year with Jefferson. And this is a, God, if you have not looked at the 2020, and why would you, but the 2020 signing class for Eastern, there's a lot of guys that just are not on the team anymore. There's still some hangers on. DJ Smith is still hanging around. Uh, he's the number two recruit in this class, but he's not even on the depth chart. Uh, Rico Small is gone. CJ Parks never made it. Jason Eaton transferred out. David Carter's still around. Mickey Rabelininski, an offensive tackle, he's still around, but quarterback Baron May is gone. Uh, defensive back Miles McNeil is gone. Hey, there's linebacker Bryson Huddleston. He's still around, but Coleon Smith's gone. Uh, Xavier Smith's gone. Lucas Luff's gone. Troy Bess, he's already gone. You know, there's not a lot of returning guys, especially at the, the top half of this list. Uh, once we get towards the bottom, we still have some hangers on. But these linebackers, Jefferson and Huddleston, they one of those two guys have really got to come through because I don't think Eastern wants to live off the portal, especially at linebacker. Maybe, like, sometimes if it only has to fill one of the two linebacker spots, sure. But defense, defense is defense. Defense is it's just like one of those positions where you really want to get a good one out of high school that stays. You want your defensive quarterback out of high school. And does Eastern have that defensive quarterback? They have their offensive quarterback for sure. But the linebacker, the guy that runs everything in that 4-2-5 defense, do they have that guy that has come through the high school ranks? Or is Eastern just going to be handcuffed to the transfer portal to find good linebackers for the rest of time. 